This evening I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And we're going to begin our Bible reading at verse number 13. Luke 12 and verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to a stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. We'll end our Bible reading there at the end of verse number 34 
And I want to point your attention back, please, to verse number 31. That's our text for this evening, verse number 31. But rather, that obviously gives us a contrast. There's something different. And now there's something new. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. Let's seek the Lord in prayer together. We'll ask his help as we come to consider this particular verse of scripture tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, as we have our Bibles open, we, we read a passage of scripture that if we pay close attention to what you've communicated to us here is very convicting and rebuking to us because we so often do not seek your kingdom first. We are so often guilty of this greater subject of covetousness. Uh, we want the things of this world, and we we set our affections on those rather than things on the earth, or rather than things above, as you've commanded us. And so we pray that you would help us this evening, as we understand what your word teaches us here, uh, that we would indeed set our affections on things above, that we would have your kingdom as the priority of life, and that it would rule our decisions and attitudes and actions we ask it in jesus name amen well as i've said verse number 31 is the text for this evening but rather seek ye the kingdom of god and all these things shall be added unto you very often when we consider this particular verse of scripture it sometimes is considered in the sense of a rebuke you dirty rotten christians as something of what I prayed just a moment ago, you know, you, you no good for nothing Christians, so worldly and so consumed with earthly things, stop doing that and set your affections on things above. Seek ye the kingdom of God. And it's often preached that way, and this verse is often dealt with from that perspective. But I do not believe that in the context of what our Lord is saying to his disciples here, he is meaning this in any sense of a rebuke. I believe really the Lord is telling his disciples these things by way of a great encouragement to them. Because as we'll come to see toward the end of the message, we'll bring this full circle. You look at verse number 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you that very thing that he told you to seek after. He's told you to seek the kingdom. And he'll give that to you when you seek that. And, and so we'll see something of that here in a moment when we come toward the end. But I want to consider this verse in its larger context. We began reading way back in verse number 13 for a reason. And this brings us to the first particular thing I want you to see from this verse. And that is the contrast that is made here. We see the word rather, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. The contrast is we are prone to seek something different than that. We're prone to seek earthly things. We're prone to not seek the kingdom of God. But the Lord here is telling his disciples, no, seek the kingdom of God. It's human nature to be covetous. The, the Lord, when he gives us his commandments, if we understand 
the aspects of the spiritual nature of the law. There's really three commandments that deal with our coveting. The fourth commandment, I don't think it's any stretch to say this, the fourth commandment deals with our coveting our own time. And the Lord says, no, you have six days and I have one. It is covetous to to steal from the Lord that which belongs to him. There is a day that is his and we give that to him and we acknowledge that as the Lord's day. Obviously, thou shalt not steal deals with an aspect of coveting. And then more obviously, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet deals with that. We are naturally prone to covet. And in the greater context, you go back to uh, verse number 15. The Lord is responding to this man who came and he said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And the Lord said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then he gives us a a parable, an illustration of a man who was covetous, a man who had a bunch of stuff. There's nothing wrong with having a bunch of stuff. But all he cared about was his stuff. And he not only had a lot of stuff, he wanted more stuff. And that's really all he cared about. And he gave no thought to the welfare of his soul. And the Lord says, you're a fool. Because tonight, your soul is going to be required. You've spent all your time on earthly things. And tonight, your soul's required. And then, verse number 22, he says unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, in light of this parable, in light of what he has just spoken to to all these in his hearing about covetousness, he says, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you'll eat for the body, what you'll put on. Now, as astute students of the word of God, you'll recognize what we've read here in Luke 12 to be very, very, very similar to what the Lord preaches in his Sermon on the Mount that we have recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Much of the same content. The Lord repeated himself. The Lord preached these same truths in different contexts and at different times. And when we come to verse number 31, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, you'll remember from the Sermon on the Mount as it's recorded for us in Matthew, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? Well, Luke doesn't record that word first, Christ, as we understand the recording of scripture, Christ did not say first in this particular passage of scripture. But I think it's undeniable that it makes all the sense in the world to anybody that can read that this is the Lord's, Meaning, this, this is what he is saying in this verse and, and obviously what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And the word first there is not first, second, third so much as it is primarily. 
the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is to be your number one priority. And the Lord makes this great contrast between seeking the kingdom of God and covetousness. Having an inordinate desire for the things of this life. And Christ makes this contrast. And we can even say that there's more of a contrast in in the parable and then as he speaks to his disciples. He makes a contrast between the covetousness of the rich man and the covetousness of the poor man. The rich man covets more and more and has no display of faith. The poor man who worries and frets about tomorrow also has no display of faith. The rich man covets what he does not have. The poor man covets what he thinks he can never get. What he thinks he does not have. And by contrast, the Lord warns us against this covetous heart. Now, we can go and we can look at this parable of the rich man. He he was rich. His crops brought forth plentifully. He had a bumper crop and his barns weren't big enough. Any businessman with any sense would do exactly what this man did. This is why this man is rich. He is business savvy. He understands, I need bigger barns to store more grain. If I can't store this grain, I can't sell this grain. If I can't sell this grain, I can't make money. I can't make money, I can't plant next year's crop. And this was a wise businessman from every worldly perspective. Is having a bumper crop sinful? Absolutely not. Is is being a farmer wanting a bumper crop sinful? No. Is building a bigger barn a sinful thing? Is getting more stuff a sinful thing? And the answer to that is, of course not. You look through scripture, especially as you look at the patriarchs of the Old Testament and and the great men the Lord used in the Old Testament, some of them were the most wealthy men on planet Earth at the time. And those were God's servants. Job, we talked about Job this morning. Job was the wealthiest man in the East. Abraham, an extremely wealthy man. And the Lord used them. Jacob, the Lord blessed by way of miracle to make him even more wealthy. With the whole thing about his sheep and goats and and, and getting more sheep and goats. The Lord blessed his servants. There's nothing wrong with wealth. This man's sin and the display of this man's covetousness was that he was so consumed with his wealth. He was so consumed with the things of this life and this earth that he never gave thought to eternity. He never made eternal matters any priority in life. And therefore the Lord calls him a fool. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then where's all your stuff go? Whose is your stuff going to be then? It's gone. And it doesn't matter because you're gone. And then he turns to his disciples. You be careful not to fall into the same 
error, the same sin, of being so consumed with the stuff of this life that you don't give thoughts to eternity, but rather seek the kingdom of God. Make that your priority. And so there's the contrast. But we also see in verse number 31 a command. The command is very straightforward. Seek ye the kingdom of God. It's the imperative. That's what the Lord has told us to do. That's what he has commanded us to do. But in this larger context, there are several other commands that I think we need to take note of in light of this that, that lead up to this. So you look at verse number 22, for example. Take no thought. Verse number 24, consider the ravens. Verse 27, consider the lilies. Verse 29, another command, seek not. He's told us what not to seek. All of these commands lead up to this main point that the Lord is teaching his disciples in verse number 31. It's as if everything funnels to verse number 31 and the Lord is making this summary statement of everything he has said so far. Seek the kingdom of God. And all these things are going to be added unto you. And then if you don't understand that, Verse number 32 really serves as the summary for for all of this. Don't worry. The Lord is going to take care of you. That is substantively what he has said in verse number 32. Don't worry. Your father, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to take care of you, to give you all that you need. But let's look at these commands as as they're given to us. Look at verse number 22. So as he speaks to his disciples more particularly, he he says in verse number 22, take no thought. There's the command. Take no thought for your life, what you'll eat. Take no thought for your body, what you'll put on. And then verse 23 tells us that life is more important than meat and the body is more important than clothing. And what the Lord is explaining to us here is that God will always take care of the more important thing. He will always take care of that which is more needful. We mentioned something of that this morning, that the Lord has made a promise to supply our needs. The Lord takes care of those things that are more needful. If it is his will for your life and your body to exist, then he will provide for you all that you need. Eternal things are far more important. Then we go to verse number 24, consider the ravens, the the next commandment that the Lord has given here. Christ expands on what he's already said with, with something of the rhetorical question, how important is the life of a bird? How important is the life of a bird? God provides for all the needs of the birds until that bird has served the sovereign purpose that God has for it on this earth. That bird lives as long as God has it here. But not one sparrow falls to the ground without the Lord knowing exactly what has happened. He provides for them. Consider the ravens, the birds. 
human life is far more important than the life of any animal. And so what the Lord is explaining to us here in this command of consider the ravens, you know, if I can say this in a reverent way, the Lord's knocking some sense into us. If I take care of the birds, am I not going to take care of you? This is what he's telling his disciples. It's obvious I take care of birds. It's obvious I'm going to take care of you. All the care and concern that we put into this life, the Lord explains to us in this command with the ravens, is is really just fruitless anyway. Look at verse number 25. And which of you with taking thought can add to a stature one cubit? I don't mean to be silly, but if you're short, worrying about it, not going to make you any taller. Right? You, can't, you can't change that. If you then, verse 26, if you then, you're you're not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought of the rest? In in this context, you you think about it in these terms. If you plant a seed in the ground, you plant a garden, you put the seeds in the ground, and then you go in the house wringing your hands, worried to death that this seed will never grow. You lay down in your bed, tossing and turning all night, wondering if this seed will ever grow. Not going to make it grow. We have no control over these things, but the Lord oversees it all. And then he gives another command, verse 27, consider the lilies. How beautiful are the flowers of the field. They're perfectly arrayed exactly as God wants them to be. But are we not more important than the flowers of the field? He's already spoken of the animals, the ravens. Well, we're more important than that. Ravens aren't created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God. Consider the lilies. They don't toil. They don't spin. But yet Solomon in all of his glory wasn't taken care of like these lilies. The Lord takes care of them. And then are we not more important than the flowers of the field? This piece of grass that here it is today and tomorrow it's cast into the oven. And then verse 28, he asks the question, how much more will he clothe you, O ye, of little faith? And the Lord here in these commands that he gives to his disciples to, to stop and you know, just, just think about these things. It shakes our, our focus and it, it, it puts us in, in the right perspective. And then he comes to a negative here in verse number 29 telling us what not to seek. Because you see our problem this whole time is seeking what we'll eat or what we'll drink and all these things. But the Lord says don't do that. Verse 29, and seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. The Lord explains here, verse 30, that to be so consumed with this is to be an imitator of the heathen. Because it is the nations of the world as the Bible would translate that in many other places, that word nations, it translates it as the word heathen. 
For all these things do the heathen seek. The heathen, the ungodly, those that don't factor God into their life, those that give no thought of God, are the ones that are so consumed and worried about the stuff of this life. And the Lord says, don't. There's no need in it. And actually to do it is to align yourself with those who are against me. And so it becomes very obvious from these commands, we are not to think this way. We are not to fall into this trap of a covetous heart tied so strongly to the things of this world. And all of these commands funnel down to this last one in verse number 31, really summarizing the whole thing. Do this. Make this your priority. Seek ye first. The word first is not here in Luke, but as it's recorded in Matthew, seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these other things, all these other things will be added unto you. Now, let's just take just a a little moment here and think about these other things. Are these other things bad? Are these other things wrong? And the answer is no. I'm a father, a husband. If I don't provide for my family, I am worse than an infidel. That's what the Bible says about me, if I don't do that. If I don't worry, I'll use that word. If I don't worry about my family having food, my kids having clothes, a shelter over their head, if I don't worry about that, to a legitimate degree and and that worry make me go to work and, and do work to receive income from my family to provide for my family. I am in sin. If I don't do that, if I neglect feeding my children, I neglect getting them clothes that they need. I'm in sin. But this is where we have to understand that all this comes down to the issue of priority. What is our priority? I understand. And and this would be the same thing I would say to our folks back in Winston-Salem. As I preach to to you, I, I mean literally you in this room, It's obvious that by you coming to church on a Sunday night, your Christian life is something of a priority. If this was not important to you, you simply would not be here. And so I understand in this particular point, I'm in many ways preaching to the choir. I understand that. But we live in a day when I would say the best of Christians that we know, when we look at their actions as a whole, 
The things of the Lord are not priority. I've made this statement back in Winston, in Winston-Salem, preaching on this verse and other verses similar to it. Take myself as a father. I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? So it's my job to be at church. So I have to be at church. And that's the way some people see it. And when they hear preachers talking about coming to church, it, it comes off as what I like to call preacher talk, right? This is just the preacher talking, preacher talk. Well, I work a 40-hour week. I work a 60-hour week outside the church. But yet still manage to organize my time to get to church. I don't say that as patting myself on the back. I just say that in sense of setting an example of priority. I want to set an example to my children of priority. And when it comes along that, well, we've signed up for sports, and now the sports, they, they play on the Lord's Day. Well, what do we silently communicate to our children but that, well, church is important, Unless, and here we have a list of things that are more important. And we would never enunciate that. No no father would tell his children, going to the basketball game is more important than going to church. That would never be communicated in those terms, in those words. But as life happens, the list of acceptable reasons to forsake the assembling of yourself together gets longer and longer and longer. Now, does that list exist? Sure. Are there, are there reasons why a person would, would stay home and not come to church? Absolutely. Of course there are. But that's a short list. And for too many in the church today, that list is way too long. There's too many things on that list. And the Lord here is giving us something of a reset focus of priority. And he's telling us that to not have the kingdom of God as priority is to be guilty of the sin of covetousness. And that's what he said. So the command is clear. We must make the things of the Lord our priority. And so I want to come lastly to what I'm calling the consolation. You seek first the kingdom of God, and here's the consolation. All these things will be added unto you. Here's the reward, if you will. You make the Lord in his service your number one priority, and everything else is just going to work out. Everything else is just going to be okay. And that's where verse 32 comes in. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I know verse 32 is a very, very popular verse to preach in small churches. I don't think that application is wrong. The little flock, right? But he's, he's speaking to his disciples, I think the term little flock here is not really much different than dear friends. 
Fear not, dear friends. Fear not, my disciples. Fear not, followers of the Lord, little flock. This is a term of precious endearment that he's speaking to his disciples. Why not fear? Well, because it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I love that it says yours. It doesn't say it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But it's your father's. That speaks of of something of a personal relationship that we have with this God who is our father. This is my father. And he doesn't do this in a grudging way. It's his good pleasure to give to you that very thing that he has told you to make priority, the kingdom of God. Now, we need to answer the question, what is this? What is the kingdom of God? Well, I think often it's spoken of in terms of, uh, of heaven. Seek heaven. Seek to get to heaven. And all these things will be added unto you. Well, the best way to understand a phrase of scripture is to actually look at that phrase as it is used in scripture. And so when you begin to study this, you find this phrase, kingdom of God, is used many, many times in scripture. Sometimes it's just kingdom. Other times it's kingdom of God. And then mainly in Matthew, it's kingdom of heaven. And the reason Matthew says kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God is because the book of Matthew was written primarily to a a Jewish audience. And the Jews had something of a superstition where they would not say the word God. And so instead they would say heaven. I can illustrate this um, with a a story from scripture you'll know. uh, The story of the prodigal son. When he comes to himself, he says, I have sinned against heaven. Well, he means he sinned against God, but being a good Jew, he didn't say the word God, so instead he said the word heaven. And so Matthew uses that term. So all these terms are really used interchangeably. So when you're reading in the book of Matthew and you see kingdom of heaven, it's the exact same thing as uh, parallel accounts of that same thing in, in the other Gospels, kingdom of God, or, or just simply kingdom. And one author, I believe, summarized this very well. He, he says this about this phrase, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, kingdom. He says this, the kingdom of God is a comprehensive term for the whole of Christ's teaching. It really summarizes everything that Jesus was about. Everything that he, everything that he taught and said and did. Seeking the kingdom of God is seeking after and living for everything that is right and godly. We can use some other verses and familiar phrases of scripture to illustrate this. Seeking the kingdom of God is the same thing as pursuing holiness in the fear of God. It's the same thing. Seeking the kingdom of God is the same thing as seeking to live godly in Christ Jesus. Seeking the kingdom of God is the same thing as setting your affections on things above. 
Seeking the kingdom of God is the same thing as living in the fear of the Lord. Or, to use the words of our catechism, seeking the kingdom of God is the same thing as pursuing our chief end to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is what it means to seek the kingdom of God. It is to be godly. It is to follow God. It is to factor him into every single decision and circumstance of life. It is not to do anything without considering first, what does the Bible say about what I'm about to do? Does the Bible address this decision that I'm going to make? All these other things that we're, we're, that are talked about in this passage that we're warned about are, are tangible things. Our food. Well, we can see it. We can touch it. We can hold it. We can eat it. Our clothes. We can see, touch, hold. They're, they're tangible. They're tactile. But the kingdom of God is, is intangible. It's not something that I can hold on to. It's, it's not something that, that I, can, I can grasp. But seeking the kingdom of God is the, the work of the spirit in the life of the believer leading him on toward a life of godliness. We would be fearful seeking such a thing left to ourselves. If we were left to ourselves, we would be sent on a fool's errand of seeking godliness. If it was up to me to be godly, if it was up to you to be godly, well, that's a fool's errand because you cannot do that on your own. But it is as the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer, and we are to use our catechism's language of sanctification, where we are enabled to die unto sin, and we are enabled to live unto righteousness, that we're able to make this priority. Obeying verse number 31, making the kingdom of God our number one priority, this is not a New Year's resolution. This is not something that tonight when you lay down... Tomorrow I'm going to do better. That's not how this is accomplished. This is accomplished by the work of the Spirit in the heart. And as the Lord works those affections in the heart and gives us a thirst after the things of the Lord, the Lord's going to do this for us. Because verse 32 rounds this out. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you this kingdom. These dear, this dear flock, little flock, in all of our weakness, right? we're not a massive herd. The Lord has not said, fear not, massive herd, massive flock, no little flock. Don't worry. The Lord is going to give you that very thing that he's told you to seek after. You seek the Lord and he will be found. Open thy mouth wide. And I will fill it. This is a restatement of many promises that the Lord has made. And may the Lord help us tonight to focus our attention and to set our affections on things above. And to seek first his kingdom. Knowing that the Lord will give us all these things that we need.
Amen. Let's close in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. A word that is sharp, that rebukes us. Lord, we do it. We do confess that we are so often guilty of this covetous heart that we've been warned against. And we pray that you would work within us to make us make your things first place in our life. Uh, we began with those words of the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We thank you that when we are so unfaithful, yet you remain faithful to us, keeping us to yourself and preserving us. And we pray for help. We pray for the Peters as they make their move to St. Louis. We pray that as these movers come tomorrow that you would help them to work quickly, efficiently, to keep them from any injuries. We pray that you'll help Paul and Rachel with all the last-minute details that they have to take care of and uh, that in many ways you would make this an uneventful thing for them, that everything would go according to plan and uh, that you would prosper them on their journey and the transition and the new things that they will face. We thank you for their faithfulness over the many years in this work leadership in, in this work and uh, work with uh, the session and presbytery. And we pray that you would bless them in this next part of life. We ask that you'll go with each of us back to our homes tonight. Give us safety. Help us with the different responsibilities we have in this week to come. We ask in Jesus' name.